live. We are live. What's going on, Phil? Not much. Oh, crazy weekend out here in the old Southwest. It's uh, it's been adventurous to say the least. But uh, yeah, thanks for doing this, man. This is gonna be, it's gonna be good. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, you uh, you have a pretty, pretty uh, incredible story. Trials and tribulations, things you've done. One, one could say it's. I, I don't know. I think it's pretty inspiring, pretty crazy. I don't know. You're out here doing your thing, doing the best you can. You're probably one of the better dudes I've met in my life, so I, I, I got to get you on the mic. Thank you. And ramble on a little bit. Yeah, so we were out hiking yesterday, checking out the old Grand Canyon, and yeah. uh, found a cave. What part of the world was that in? Or where would you say that was into the Grand Canyon, where that cave was at? That cave was near Mount Trumbull. Mount Trumbull. Well, there was a Anasazi, what we believe, an Anasazi skull in that cave. That's what we believe, anyway. Yeah. That's yeah. what's been said. After dodging bats and scaling through the about four stories deep, found a skull. That stuff was crazy. It's, it, it was really eye-opening to see something like that in person. But, yeah, it's something I'll never forget in my life, for sure. It's, it's wild out here. The amount of history and things you see out here from the First Nation people or the... Uh, it's not pictographs, but what's the stuff we saw on the, uh, the petroglyphs? Yeah, petroglyphs. petroglyphs. That stuff's that stuff's crazy because that's what probably three, four hundred years old, something like that, if not older. Yeah, at least. Never Some seen anything like that before in my life. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy to see something like that. I don't know. It, not that it gives you like a newfound respect, but it makes you think like how small you are in unison to everything else going on in the world, and how unless you do something like not, not like we even know who did it, but I don't know. It's, it's cool to see something like that, and it's, it makes me appreciative of what, where we're at now, the technologies we have, and how we can communicate as a society. But it's, uh, it's definitely cool to see that. So the, the Grand Canyon was just amazing for me. You, you see pictures of it throughout your entire life, obviously. A lot of people go visit it, but uh, when you actually get it in front of your eyes, it's kind of like hard to comprehend, especially being from the Appalachians. It looks fake. It you literally see, looks fake. You look at it, you're like, this isn't real. Like, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm dreaming right now because there's no way I can fathom what I'm looking at. And it's, it's like, it's too much to take in. Phil been living here his whole life. He's probably, ah, it's whatever. But when I saw it, uh, I was like, ah, what is this? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, uh, I, I, I got a whole bunch of places I can show you the Grand Canyon from. Oh, yeah. All in my backyard here. I mean, just like going to the edge of the world over there and seeing that, that was insane. And going just to some of the peaks you can go to and how some of this terrain is out here, it's just crazy. It's very, I don't think it's underappreciated, but I, I don't want to say it's not, it's not very known. And I think that's a good thing so it doesn't get ransacked and ruined oh. by. It's pretty sketchy in some parts. I know those uh, touristy areas have the handrails and stuff, but Phil took us to kind of the more. Oh there, oh, oh, there wasn't no handrails out there. What was that? Uh, what was that little silver thing we saw on the ground of the U.S. Uh, oh, the, the oh, survey marker. Survey marker. Yeah, it was from like 1934. And it was like I know they didn't have a nice four-wheel drive rig going up there. They're probably mm. on some horseback or something like that, scaling all the way up there. And that was a long drive, let alone a long horseback ride. So I don't know. At the resiliency in people back then to move out here and find a way to live and survive has always been very intriguing and interesting to me for how, sure how long did it take us to drive out there hours worth every second of it yeah yeah, yeah. it was crazy anyways phil yeah the man the myth the legend himself <laughs> <laughs> so uh if you could just uh tell tell everybody a little bit about yourself and uh where you grew up from oh i was born and raised right here in colorado city arizona i got uh 62 siblings my dad was married to 13 women and i come from a very big household but at the same time i'm the only child from my mother so i was i was kind of only amongst a bunch sure sure now when you say your dad had you said 13 wives you said you said your dad yeah. had 13 wives yeah yeah that's correct now that's the F F FLDS, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so fundamentalist the, Mormon. Yeah, so FLDS, for those that are trying to figure out what FLDS means, that's the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints, correct? Correct. Yep. And then there's the the normal, you could probably explain it better, but then there's like the, the, the Mormon religion. Is there is Mormons the same as the LDS, or is that like a LDS a sect off of the Mormon? The mainstream Mormon church and the fundamentalist Mormons 
originated from the same uh, doctrine which come through Joseph Smith. Sure. And the fundamentalists kept the roots of uh, plural marriage alive, where the mainstream Mormon church, the LDS church, as most of the world knows it, has disallowed plural marriage. Sure. So the the religion sees it as a as a as a real thing, but the state and the government does does not obviously. Hence why it's I don't want to say frowned upon, but why people. You can't be legally married to more than one, one wife, but the church recognizes it as a legitimate marriage. If I'm not mistaken, that's correct. So, yeah. so that's a still that's still a fight today that that uh, these people are dealing with, or is it kind of getting legalized, or what's what's going on with that? Uh, a few years ago, uh, Utah passed legislation that said they were no longer going to prosecute uh, polygamists. Wow. Okay, so there's okay, yeah. It's still against a lot of practice practice plural marriage, but they're not prosecuting people for it anymore. When, uh, whether you believe in it or not, it's, it's kind of wild that the government can tell an individual who they cannot or can marry, whether it's plural or singular. Uh, just thinking about that, it seems pretty wild. And it comes down to how religion is still ingrained in our society. Right. Your, your fundamentalist Mormons believe that the only way to reach the highest degree in the celestial kingdom or the afterlife is to have more than one wife. They must have three or more. Why is it? Is it like the more wives and more kids you have, the better you look in the eyes of, of God? or what's? Uh, it's referred to it as a new and everlasting covenant in the Doctrine and Covenants, which was written by Joseph Smith, and the section 132 was omitted from the Doctrine and Covenants by the mainstream Mormon Church, which basically says that the, the only way to reach the highest degree in heaven is to have multiple wives and a large family. Is there a like a limit on how many wives you can have? There's no limit. No. In this community, well, wow. what's the most? What's the most wives you've heard of a guy having? I believe, um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Warren Jeffs had 70 wives. Jesus wow. Christ! Yeah, that's, gonna, that's gonna raise some flags. I, for sure. I, I would assume that you wouldn't have as many wife and wives and children that you. I guess you would need to be able to support them. Does that, does that matter at all? Your income or Oh, financial yeah. state at all yeah yeah a lot of that is why they did priesthood marriages was they would marry people to let's say you have a young woman that's coming of age and they want to make sure that she's married to somebody that'll take care of her right I mean that's the way it was when I grew up of course things got weird under the Jess regime sure but growing up as I did in the fundamentalist way that we grew up it was it was very important to be able to care and love your children sure yeah and as it should be if you're gonna have those many families and kids you need to be able to support them and care for them for sure right. and and you know people say it's about impossible for a person for a a man like my dad with 62 kids to have a personal relationship with each of his children but I have some prominent memories of my own when dad and I would talk about serious things and and I had a great relationship with my dad he was 72 when I was born that's crazy wow you were the youngest out of the all of them right third to the youngest of my dad's yeah yeah of your dad's that's what I meant yeah and how old was your or your mother when you were born? My mother was 18. Oh, okay. Wow. That's very interesting. 62 siblings. When I first met you, I don't know, I, I think I've told you this before, but when I first met you, and you're like, hey, this is, you know, my brother Matt, or this is my sister Dot, or this is my brother, you know, Jeff, whatever it is. And I was like, oh, like brother in Christ, because you guys are religious, but it took me a couple times to come down here like, no, like literally my half-brother or my half-sibling or my, my brother because we have the same father. And I was like, what? This is, uh, I need to ask you a lot of questions now. <laughs> right. I know we talked about this a little bit this week, Phil, but uh, 
for people who haven't heard like when you're in this kind of lifestyle is it multiple homes usually or you see a lot of people in under one household like typically they tried to keep their their families under one household and create unity within the family that was the idea i guess at some point it would be kind of almost impossible unless you were yeah 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 we're all human and women are I don't want to say territorial, but I don't know. It's, it'd be hard not to be jealous, for sure. Jealousy, like, I don't know. Is, is he, like, setting enough time for each wife? Like, all right, from 11 to 12, it's this one. From 12 to 1, it's this one. Or it's like, hey, Betty is being cranky this week. I'm not going to see her at all, and I'm going to give all my attention to Sarah. <laughs> so it's like, right. I feel like that could cause some weird strife. There was. Um, my mom never really talked about it that much, um, except that. I did know that it, I did know when she was going to spend the night with dad. Oh, okay. Sure. Um, she'd make sure that I knew and I was out of her way so she could ha- have some one-on-one with my dad. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But there wasn't a set rule as far as who spends what night with who. I figure there wasn't, mm-hmm. but I, we're all human and prone to errors like being jealous or, you know, what have you. So I didn't. Be, oh, be. yeah, I've seen my mother's fight like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually it would start something like that because it's not like, I don't know, is it just jealousy or is it like, hey, you shouldn't talk to them like this or why you talk to my kids like that or how, how did, what well, was the... There was a lot of that, all yeah, of it. Yeah, I could only imagine in that kind of world. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, like my mother, she was up and going to work at 7 o'clock every morning. She worked a steady job. Not really. And we had another mother who stayed at home, and she was in charge of the meals. Okay. And another mother that worked at the grocery store, she was a bookkeeper for the grocery store, and it was her job to provide the food. Um, you know, if, yeah. if the mother that's making the meals needed something, why the other mother made sure that it was in the household. Sure. I would assume if these these families weren't in constant legal battles all the time that they would be pretty pretty strong families with that much support everyone oh, having a different job it's amazing the family ties yeah um, within my family and and different i mean the, just about the whole community of Colorado City is related to me in one way or another sure yeah you're like oh that's third cousin this second nephew that or third uncle to that because that's my sister's uh, what it uh a lot right. of people joke about that being you know related to everybody in their small town but we're we're talking literally out here you're related to somebody in one way or another that's that's wild i think i think that's cool and also bad at the same time yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no so what so you grew up in the flds setting when 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 did you get out why did you get out? I was run out. I was threatened with prison time and ran out of town. I ran like a scared rabbit when they told me I was no longer worthy of now, the kingdom. Mm. Who Did that make you question what they're saying? Like, this guy's saying I'm not worthy. Who is he? Or is there no question in, in what the higher-ups would tell you? I believed it. I believed with every fiber of my being that my soul was going to burn in hell and nothing mattered. That's all you've known since you were born. Yeah. How old were you when when you got told that? I was 18. What was their reason for telling you that? I was involved in a sexual relationship with the bishop's granddaughter. Oh. That's all it took, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So 18, they told you you're not worthy and you, you dipped out. Where'd you go? I moved to uh, Ivins, Utah. Moved in with my brother. And, of course, at the time, I was driving a truck for my my big brother, Merrill. Everybody knows Merrill that went to Texas prison for that stuff involved sure. with Warren Jeffs. And I was working for Merrill at the time. And when he found out what I was doing with, with uh, Flora, I married Flora. She's pretty famous. She's got works with the Arizona Attorney General. She's got newspaper people following her around. She's mm-hmm. she's really made quite a name for herself. Um, 
I was the one that married her so she could get out from under. Um, and I didn't realize it at the time, but she hooked me for the sole purpose of getting out from under juvenile court. Mm. Her attorney told her that if she got married, she would no longer be considered a juvenile and her juvenile record would be expunged. Oh, got you on the hook. She got me. Wow. We spent 10 days together and then she left. She went to Vegas, went to Kansas City, Missouri, um, spent a bunch of time back there. She'd pop in every once in a while and say hi and away she'd go again. And I was just left in what I figured was pretty close to disillusionment. I mean... What do you mean? I mean, nothing mattered. The only thing that mattered to me was getting high and supporting myself. And I learned through the School of Hard Knocks how to keep a roof over my head. I almost starved to death. I mean... Jeez. I, I lived on the streets and, and struggled to keep a job. And the only thing I really cared about was where my next high was coming from. Because if, my, if I was going to burn in hell, I was going to have fun while I was here. That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> if, you, if you think you're going there, might as well fucking rage in the meantime. It's, it's hard to comprehend like someone that, that genuinely believes they're damned. I don't I know if a lot of people can actually I can't even process that, that in I their brain. I couldn't process that at all. So I, I, don't, I don't want you to think that it's funny, but it's, like, it's hard for, for my simple brain to comprehend that mindset. And when someone told you that, like, you thought with every nerve of your body that you thought it was true. So that's something I can't fathom, comprehend, understand. So hitting, hitting something that makes you feel good or numbs, numbs that feeling, I, I don't want to make an excuse. Like, I could see why, but I can kind of see why, because you think you're damn so... <laughs> Right. How long did that did that that run last for? Of you? Oh, uh, well, I stayed on methamphetamines for 23 years. Wow, that's a long time. And you know, of course, growing up, being treated the way I was growing up, I started drinking at about 10 years old. Like hitting it hard or just like uh, sneaking a couple sips here and there and catching a buzz and going to bed? Sneaking it when I could, yeah. What, uh, what, brought, what brought you to meth? Was it just the accessibility to it? Is that what everyone was doing around here? Um, yeah, I had a brother that uh, had left the religion and he was in St. George, Utah. And, and uh, when they kicked me out of Colorado City, that's basically the area that I went to. Ivan's is just kind of an outlying town of St. George. And right. I went and found my brother because I knew that he got high and that he partied because, well, my, my older siblings had, uh, they, they started a, a corporation that was called Parties Unlimited. Hmm. And they were sponsored by Budweiser. They'd give them discount prices on kegs. And they threw like five major parties a year. Um, one of them was called the X Cricket Reunion. And that was when people that had been kicked out of Colorado City or had left uh, would get together and just throw a big keg party. I mean, I'm, really? talking, I'm talking 35 kegs in the back of an old reefer truck with tacks really? out the back. <laughs> Heavy awesome. metal music playing and playing yeah, yeah. in the trees. And, that's, a, that's what's up. They do that out here, or is that out in St. George? We do it out in the sticks. Okay. Uh, Lamb Spring at uh, Coral Pink Sand Dunes was oh, one okay. of our big spots. Hell yeah, mm. that's a gorgeous uh, area. Little Jamaica down on the uh, Virgin River, down by Beaver Dam, Mesquite area. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, was where the party, the birthday party was usually held. We, um, we did some at Baker Dam. Um, these parties were just kind of planned ahead. And the cops couldn't really mess with us unless they caught somebody underage drinking because we had a, they were legal, an, or, an organized uh, 
business and events and businesses and everything and, and there was memberships and so there was no alcohol really sold oh that's the loophole okay yeah okay. so we just set up the beer truck set up the stereo system and light out a great big fire and party <laughs> down <laughs> in the middle of nowhere mountain town southwest that's cool and so that was the kind of thing that a lot of us ex-crickers would do to get out of our he own heads was to just go get shit-faced. Sure. Um, and that was a big thing. We, we were serious about it. Mm. <laughs> we threw some hell of parties. I can imagine. Because you've known something your whole life, and this is a, an outlet that's fun and get your mind off all the bad shit you've been told or had to go through, so it's just, let's rage. Mm. Uh, so you, 23 years, you were you're on the hitting meth. What what uh what got you? What sobered you off of that? Or what got you off that? Or what was the what was the realizing moment where you were like, I'm done. It's got to be a turning point somewhere. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because growing up like we did under so much government persecution for the religion and everything else, we grew up with a very little respect for law enforcement. Why, why is or that? government. Because of the persecutions. Sure. I mean, my dad did jail time. My Uncle Virgil did jail time. My grandpa died right after he was released from jail. Um, you know, so many of the founding fathers of our community out here went to prison or jail for living their religion. Sure. And so we had, uh, we figured government was just evil. And so growing up, I didn't worry about paying tickets, traffic tickets. <laughs> I uh, went to jail more times than I can count. Because of stuff like that? Yeah, they, they'd put a bench warrant out for me because I wouldn't show up or pay a traffic fine. <laughs> I w I drove without <laughs> registration, I drove without insurance, and I, I, it, for years and years and years, and I started getting busted with drugs. I'd been in and out of every jail that Arizona had, and half of Utah's, and it got to the point where I actually went to prison. How long, you, how long were you in prison for? I did 70 days in Draper in their diagnostics unit and got a prison number. Mm. And from there they sent me to the Kane County Jail where I did three months and then to Purgatory for another four months. And then I did an in-house rehab another three months. And since then I haven't touched methamphetamine and I haven't been to jail. Hell yeah, Very good for cool. you. Yeah. It's awesome. awesome. How do you, what do you think of the prison system now that you've been through it? Oh, it needs a lot of help. It does. It's not a correctional facility. I mean, it can be like, I got my high school diploma while I was at Purgatory. Sure. Can you move the mic just a little bit closer to you? Yeah. Or talk kind of right into it. I, I used my jail time to improve myself and, and That's good. the, I don't know, if, if a person goes to jail and uses his time wisely, he can get something out of it. But I think there's a lot of problems with the system. Well, in this community, do you, as there's a lot of people that just go to jail or prison just for the um, act of polygamy, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's, that's wild. I don't, I don't know what... Well, you know, if you think about my brother Merrill and... Warren Jeffs, you know, those, they, those guys kind of went dark in relation to what we were taught growing up through polygamy. I mean, like my mom was, I just barely turned 18 when, right. I, when I was born. She was married when she was 17, but, um, and there were some young ladies back in the days that were married in their 14s or 15s. Um, but what Warren and Merrill did went even s darker than that. Because they were marrying, what, like 10, 11-year-olds and shit like that? I'm not sure, but, uh, you know, when, when I grew up, you weren't forced to marry somebody. Mm. 
you know, if your priesthood head come to you and says, hey, I, we picked somebody out for you, we think that this would be a nice match, and we're thinking about putting you two kids together, why, then it was your choice, and you weren't forced to. But these guys were forcing young girls to marry people. Wow. I remember seeing them on the news because when did that all come, kind of come to a head? What year was that in? Oh, I forget. I was still kind of running the muck back then. Yeah. A lot of those years are kind of a blur for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was what early two thousands that shit started going down real hard. I don't know. It was crazy though. And then I started looking it up. I'm like, what the fuck is going on out in that part of the world? Oh. Uh, yeah. I, the way I'd see it, you, you talked about going down like a dark road. Imagine just your everyday man, the government coming in and saying, I know you love that person, you want to marry that person, but we're not going to let you. I wonder what that would do to your your mental state. And I mean, it's almost understandable that a lot of people get uh, caught up in. I don't, I don't want to say I'm either for it or against it, but I don't think people should tell people who they can't be with. If it's a, if it's healthy, right? If you have good intentions, if 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 you if you mean well and you provide for your family, like who who is this guy to say nay or yay based on that? I don't know. I think that's a kind of a sli- it's a slippery slope. At the end of the day, it's a yeah. it's a weird gray area, and not a lot of people are even f- familiar that that's even a thing. But I don't know. It's a slippery slope when you because it's because what we're we're supposed to separate church and state right right so what's happening there because that's your church but now state's getting in it so like so, where's, where's the line there has to be a line when you're actually forcing people to do these kinds of things and live this life if they don't want to but if there are actual groups of individuals that that a man wants 10 wives and every one of those wives want to be in this relationship and they're happy and the government starts putting their fingers into that then that's that's messed up right yeah i think the I don't want to say the government doesn't have good intentions. I think some people do that as a to have good intentions to make sure those kind of situations are negated by saying, "Hey, I don't want that 14-year-old girl to get unwillingly married to this guy." I think that's probably why it started. But then, just like everything humans do, it takes a shit at the end of the day. I'm sure the government doesn't like it as well, due to maybe the child services part of it, where they might think that. There's no way that you could possibly, you know, um, not just financially take care of these children, but, you know, emotionally, you know. Right. And and give that child what it needs. So I'd say that's probably why they didn't back down for a long time. I don't know, though. Yeah, I could agree to that for sure. So you got, so you did did your time, got out, then, then where'd you find yourself next? I find myself in a, a uh, non-denominational Christian training center and I was doing my service work driving a church bus gathering up kids taking them to church activities Um, I was actually asked to become pastor of this fellowship really and um, really got active um, in my spiritual maintenance and what do you mean by that? Um, I would preach in church. I would. Uh, I was. I was always at every Bible study, at every um, Sunday church. I was working um, with uh, food banks and different things, and I. I Well, this is kind of an interesting story because, you know, after going through everything I'd gone through in my life, I mean, I can't even count how many times I've looked death in the face and walked away without a scratch. Yeah. And so I I, I know that God has always watched over me. He's had his hand on me, and he's, he's kept me in life through some pretty horrific accidents uh, strange coincidences. I mean, uh, the, the Miller Fisher strain in Guillain Barre most recently, and uh, to be able to come out of the hospital without drugs or 
anything like that and to be able to live a normal life from it. I mean, to me, that's evidence that God's working in my life. But I come out of prison and I got really active in my spiritual walk. And I felt like I'd plat reached a plateau where I, I wasn't growing. I wasn't going anywhere. Mm. I was just stuck in this routine. Spiritually. Sure. And I, I, I started to question what God's motive was and how come I'm still alive. And I fasted for two weeks, praying, reading my Bible, and actually got angry and started bitching and yelling and cursing at God. I want to know why in the hell I'm still here and how come I didn't get to go home a long time ago. I mean, I should have been dead so many times, it's not funny. And the Holy Spirit finally spoke to me, and it was so pure and so plain that it it set me back. I just, and three words, feed my sheep. And from then it went on, I felt spiritually like there was something, Jesus or the Holy Spirit or something was guiding me because when I read my Bible, I'd get special interpretation for me. As in like you would read part of it and it, it would read differently from the actual text to how you're interpreting it? Right, like the words would just jump off the page and hit me right straight in the brain. Like a download, boom. I, and I'd have images and understanding. And so I read, you know, one of the first things the Holy Spirit taught me after receiving that instruction, I, I, wanted, I wanted knowledge. I wanted to know why in the hell I'm still alive. And I got instruction instead. And then I started getting more instruction, more instruction. Um, and so this just kind of became my new norm. I was, I was, I just stepped off of that plateau <clears throat> into something higher. And I recognized it and I went with it. So we run a food bank. We do a lot of stuff. I know one thing the Holy Spirit taught me was it wasn't just passing out food that he, that, that he wanted from me. Because what Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out was to go and proclaim the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. Now religions point fingers at people and using fear and judgment to control them. And that ain't what Jesus had in mind. I don't think so either. Happens a lot. And then the next thing the Holy Spirit told me was never use my word to condemn my people. And I looked up the religion I came out of and I was like, holy hell. That's exactly what they did. Oh, you're in violation of God's word right here. You know, you, it says don't do that and you're doing it. Now, Holy Spirit told me, don't use my word to condemn my people. I'm like, makes sense for me. People use religion to, I don't know, the thing with religion is like, just like your scenario there, they use it when it's convenient for them or so they can do the things that they want, but make it perceived to be what is God's will. So like what you were saying is like, they'll say that and say, you can't do that because it says right here, you can't. But what you just said says it later on in the book where it says you shouldn't do that at all. So it's like, why are they looking at that and not that? I'm like, hmm, it seems pretty, I don't want to say convenient, but I know what you're saying. And it's, I wish more people that were hitting the book thought of, said just exactly that. And they use it for the right reasons, not for the wrong ones. seems like a lot of religions are uh, all about control in some of these communities. So that's pretty wild. Yeah, well, you cannot build somebody up by tearing them down. Right. No, it's not the Marine Corps. <laughs> uh, so you got got sober, did your thing, started doing the, the spiritual preventative maintenance on it. You felt like it wasn't enough. You saw that, and then you guys started doing the recovery mission out here, which is uh, I don't we call I don't know if you ever heard of a plug. 
but a plug is when people are having conversations and you kind of you kind of inject something that's going to help promote something that you guys do so uh, if you want to throw a plug in for your recovery mission and what it is and the name of it so if anyone listening wants to either donate help out or support they can yeah we need support um, <laughs> we run strictly off of donations nobody is paid a paycheck out of the mission here which mm-hmm. is if you google it southwest recovery mission ministries the 5013c correct that's correct okay and we lost a lot of our donations and there's something messed up with the website and the Facebook page apparently doesn't have a donations link on it. And I think we've got some people working on that to try and fix it so that people can make donations through the website. And that, um, but we take food, we take clothing, furniture, appliances, and we pass them off to needy families. That's awesome. How, how can people get a hold of you guys to make these kinds of donations? Uh, should we drop an address, or how's this going to work here? Is it all via, via Facebook, or just Google you guys, Southwest, Southwest Recovery Missions, and the, you'll be the first one to pull up, and there's probably some contact info on there, I'm sure. Yeah, I think Donna's number pops up. Okay. Is, is yeah. your number on there? If you Google Southwest Recovery Missions, does okay, cool. Yeah. So if yeah. you if you ever wanted to donate or see what they're all about, you can go to Google or DuckDuckGo. If you don't want Google, know what you're looking at and search for Southwest Recovery Missions. How many? Uh, how many? Typically, like when when it was at its height, how many families did you guys usually support every week? We were feeding over a hundred families a week. That's crazy. Wow. And that's what's even crazier than that is to think before you guys came around, there's a hundred families that were hungry. Yeah, we've, we've had families that come back. They bring us beer and pizza and say, you know what, we wouldn't have made it if you guys hadn't have done what you did for us. Wow. That has to be an awesome feeling, knowing that you're helping out and doing that. It is. Yeah, I guess the feed my sheep kind of leads into that and kind of fills that hole where he's telling you to get to work at. So that's awesome. Right. You guys have got a good thing. And just being, being around you guys for the last five, six years, I just, I've never been in this town when I've been with you, and not one person didn't come up to you and either hug you, shake your hand, say hey. Like, it's been nothing but good vibes from everyone here to you. And I think that's something to say about who you are, what you did, where you've came from, and where you're at now. And it's it's really cool to see that because I don't get to see it enough. And, uh, no, it's good stuff. Well, it's, it's good to be able to give back because I in my running and gunning years I created a lot of chaos and I did a lot of damage and it's good to be able to pay back somehow uh, balance the scales if you might say so you know sure no I know what you're saying that's amazing what a guy can do when he finds purpose in his life full 360 it's unreal I've definitely uh, met a lot of people in my 30 years, definitely traveling around the military and stuff, and I've never felt more at home and welcome than I have the past couple of days with Phil and Donna, period. <laughs> I mean, it's been awesome. Yeah, it's nothing but nothing but good stuff up here. I slept like a baby. You know, sometimes <laughs> when, you, when you visit somebody and you're meeting them for the first time and you might stay at their house, it's a little bit weird to, you know, go to sleep and everything. And that first night, I slept like a rock. Racked out. REM sleep after about rock. 30 minutes. Yeah, nice. just, just good people, man. Yeah, it's a different world up here, though. It's, it's definitely different is a good way to put it. I'm, what's, what was his name? Nate? Nate come by? Old Nate. Old yeah. mate, God bless his heart. I like the spin. <laughs> put, a little, put a little preface on this. Who, who, who is this guy that just showed up? You don't, you don't, you don't have to say a, a last name, but there's this guy named Nate that Phil knows and grew up with, and uh, he's a truck driver, and he uh, come by his Chevy. We were having a bonfire. It was like 1 in the morning, and Nate's a super nice guy. He come out dressed like Dapper Dan, Cowboy Deluxe. I mean, he was dressed, he was fly looking, and he come out, and he just comes up and says, I like the spin. What are you talking about, Nate? Nate, what are you talking about? Spin what? My tires. <laughs> oh, you talking about doing burnouts in a Chevy? Okay, that's what's up, Nate. Then he'd smile at you real big and take a oh, big yeah. head off his vape. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't take the vape on the truck ride with me. I don't take the vape. 
<laughs> no, Nate was a great guy. He was super nice. I mean, just seeing guys like that out here, like everyone knows you. Everyone has awesome things to say about you, and I think that what you read and what you got from the, the guy upstairs is, is shown in, in your actions and your intentions, and it's, it's uh, something you should be proud of and also humbled by, for sure. Definitely humble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in his epistles, he who wins souls is wise. And Jesus said it's easier to take a walled city than it is to win an offended brother. And so I'm, I'm all about spiritual things. I want to keep a good spirit in my home. I want to, I want to deal spiritually with my brothers. Um, we're all brothers and sisters in the human race as far as I'm concerned. I mean, we're all God's kids. And so if we, and it's a challenge, you know, if you want to practice your love walk, you're going to find people that are so hard to love. But. Oh yeah. It's some people I'm just like, I'm never going to get along with that guy. I'm not going to change the way he thinks. I'm going to distance myself from him. I'm guilty of it. Sure. Like I'm, I'm super petty. And I'm blatantly obvious about it. And I hold grudges for years. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. We all got things to work on, but so uh, even today, Phil, like, what's uh, what's your relationship in the fundamentalist community? Do they? I know there's a lot of people in that community that needs help. Do they? Are they too like? What's the word? Will they come ask for anything? That, too prideful. Yeah. No. Uh, do they even associate oh, with you? Got since some, you you got some dogma to deal with as far as that goes. Um, the 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 devout. FLDS um, consider me a type of an enemy so to speak because I have apostatized from their church their church being the only true church and therefore that makes me an enemy of sorts they're the fucking ones that kicked you out but uh, I, I apostatized and so if a devout person in the religion has anything to do with me, then they're stepping out of their religious realm into the realms of apostasy. And so that's, that's kind of a no-no. And that's what's been really nice about having your mom here. And she's not from here. She is not an apostate. And so these, F these devout FLDS people can develop a relationship with her I didn't even think about that yeah she's yeah she's been a very important key to this mission because of that because she's not from here hmm. that that's shit like that doesn't make sense to me like I just said it's like they told you you weren't worthy they wanted you out you did good for yourself and trying to help people out now and they don't want to relate to you because you're an apostate and they don't what <laughs> they don't associate Donna with you is what you're saying Oh, yeah, they do. Do they? Okay. Yeah, they, they know that she's my sweetheart. But, yeah. be, but yeah. because she didn't come from that, they can b develop that relationship with her. Right. And she's been the front face. She's been the face of the mission out front here because when, when we first started passing out food out of the shop right here, um, she, I, I would stay back. And these people would come in wearing their prairie dresses and looking at their toes, and they would grab whatever they could get and haul ass out the door. And they wouldn't speak to nobody. They wouldn't look at anybody. They definitely wouldn't look you in the eyes. No thank yous or nothing of that nature. Okay. Just pride. Well, because down they by religion, they didn't want to lose their priesthood standing. Sure. Not the air compressor going off? Yeah. I think so. Mm -hmm. yeah, we're, so we're in a, we can uh, go kill it. I didn't take a piss anyway. You're good. Right. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll pause it. We'll come back. We'll refresh it up, and we'll get back to it. Sounds okay. good. And we're back. We use the restroom. Just so everyone knows, all these sounds you're hearing in the background, we are in Phil's place of business, which is a transmission expert. Uh, it's a shop. What's the, what's the dimensions on this place? This building is 125 feet long, uh, 
40 feet wide. It's tall. And, it's like and 60 feet wide. That door is 20 feet high. It's a big door. The rest yep. of them are 13 and a half, 14 feet. Mm. We're in a very big building. I'm looking at an old Harley on a stand. Behind me, I got, can you explain what this thing is behind me? <laughs> that is a 1956 Bel Air convertible sitting on a 95 Yukon chassis. It's a Bel Air that's lifted on mud tires. It's a drop top. It's pretty sick. And then over to our right, we got a big old cat. What is that? It's a Volvo loader. Yeah, big old loader. Yeah, we're in a shop, so if you're hearing weird noises and sounds, it's because we're kind of near a highway and we're in this big shop that's got a lot of echo on it. Is it just transmissions here, Phil? What are you, are you just general mechanic? or? Yes, because you got cars to motorcycles to tractors. You just do it all, huh? I've been telling people I do everything but bodywork and tires. Um, computer diagnostics have become a big thing anymore. Right. I mean, you just about can't function in a shop today without having a good knowledge of automotive computers and for that newer stuff. So, yeah, uh, I jumped in with both feet. I made a big investment on some scan tools and lab scopes and and learned uh, learned my way around it. And I, but transmissions are my specialty. That's what I've done for the last thirty plus years it's about the hardest thing you can do on a machine and transmissions that's what i've heard in the past yeah i'm, not, I'm no mechanic though so yeah when i when i got fussing around with crack cocaine and ended up in the streets um i woke up one day laying in the gutter in a mesa city park i started looking back and wondering what the hell I was going to do with the rest of my life and I decided that uh, construction, truck driving, framing, concrete, that kind of work just wasn't for me. I was going to try my hand at something mechanical. Got a job busting tires and mopping floors and worked my way up from there in, in the Phoenix Valley. That's where I learned my trade. You, you took that knowledge, saved your money, and then opened up your own business once you got back up to here permanently? Or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, when I moved home, it was another bout with drugs, put me in the street. And my stepdad wired me some money. I bought a Greyhound bus ticket. I moved home with nothing but the shirt on my back, baptized back into the religion and started my own business. Turned a million dollars in the next year and a half. Damn right. Good for you. Fuck yeah, yeah good for you. You say back into the religion, just so everyone knows, not back into the FLDS. <laughs> yes. Or you were back into the FLDS? Yeah, I, ba I baptized back into the FLDS religion under Ruling Jess, which was Warren's dad. Oh, I didn't know this. And... I almost got married in religion after that. Really? But because of my association with apostates, which were family, I was ousted again. How long was that process from getting back in to being ousted? About two years. Okay. Two years is better than 18 years old. Fuck. How does that... I feel like uh, when I think about it, there's like some like FLDS like council sitting up on a hill somewhere and they're just like talking about who's in, who's out. Like, we want him. You talk to them. Not, oh. in, not in the club. Yeah. There, there was a lot of that growing right. up. In right. fact, one of our greatest pastimes as, as teenagers growing up here in Colorado City was to go out and tease the night watch. What do you mean the night watch? Yeah. <laughs> so Do we tell. had these guys that were trying to be perfect and make everybody else be perfect, and they would go out and at night and watch for adolescent young people that were disobeying the rules, like being out after curfew and oh, just creeping on people to see if they were sinning. Pretty much is what you're saying. Right. Wow. And so we'd make it a point to go out on our motorcycles and four-wheelers and 
whatever vehicles we could get, and we'd go make our presence known and what, and have. We'd basically instigate a chase where they would come and try and chase us down, and we'd go play hide and seek. <laughs> we hmm. we would just tease these guys for the fun of it, because that was exactly <laughs> what they would do: is they would go get dirt on somebody and then go to the prophet and tell on them. Oh, the prophet would look look highly upon them for for finding this out. Oh, they'd think that they were gaining religious standing through that process. But by being uh, by being fucking snitches, right? Wow. Listen, I don't care what religion you are. Jesus don't like snitches. <laughs> a lot of a lot of finger pointing sometimes in religion. That's weird. Yeah. I'm gonna stay up all night and get off my internal clock and see if I can catch these kids trying to be kids. <laughs> no, no, no one asked them to do it. They just just went out and. I had a big brother that was absolutely brutal. Really. In, in what way? If he caught physically doing stuff, he, yeah, yeah, he, he, the the things he did to another brother of mine were just horrendous. I mean, seven o'clock every morning he would come into my brother's bedroom, snatch him out of bed, haul him out in a hayfield, beat the crap out of him, bring him home, and get him back in bed before his mother got up to go to work. What was the reasoning behind that, though? He was going to force him into the kingdom of heaven. Huh. I don't think that's the way to do it. No, you can't. You can't do that. That's crazy. Wow. That's, that's ridiculous. Like, how, like, how, do you, uh, how do you force someone into it with just pure violence? Was there any, like, what's the motive there? What's, is he, te- like, teaching him, like, scripture or something while he's out there? Is he beating him up? The beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> yeah. Heard that. Uh, None of it makes any sense to any of us. And, no. And, you know, um, there were there were prophecies alleged from Colorado City that one day the streets would flow with blood. It's not terrifying. When, when they said that, what do they mean by that? The destructions, like. Uh, we were taught that the Native Americans, the Lamanites, would at one point rise up and swipe, smite the white man down. And I was actually taught growing up that if I wasn't wearing my priesthood underwear, when the Navajos and the whatever other Native Americans were taking America back from the white man, that if we weren't wearing our special priesthood underwear then they wouldn't know that we were God's people and they would kill us they didn't really think that though did they if they were like if they were to hem you up out in the middle of nowhere and saw you wearing this underwear they would probably wouldn't give a shit you were, just, just, you were just told that or were they, did they really think that it's just dogma we were taught oh okay but you had special priesthood underwear yeah and like the Mormon church has their temple garments and um can you explain that? Because I am. I, this is the first time I've ever heard this. It's a long underwear. Oh, uh, like um, like pretty much like what the pilgrims had or whatever it was. Well, like the long, like white, like um, like pajamas. Is that yeah. what I'm kind of envisioning? Okay. Yeah, like you see those old Western movies where they have the the one piece underwear that's got the butt flap in the back. Yeah. That kind of thing, except for these were white, and they were made in a special way. They were priesthood garments. Huh. I think I've seen it. I just never knew what it was. So when you said it, I was like, you have priesthood underwear. What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Never heard of that. A lot of people still wear them. Really? So when we're around town out here, like when we go to the gas station, how do... I know we'll see the, the, the women that'll wear the little, I don't want to say this in a derogatory way, but like the little house on the prairie outfits and they have their, I want to say like most of them have like a, a different style of braiding their hair. Right. Are those, are those, is that like a clear cut sign of saying those are F- FLDS or those are LDS or is that like a, a different, just a, a style they have or what is that? Uh, it's a religious belief that uh, women in the celestial kingdom course there won't be clothing 
Your spirit man will be naked, and the woman's long hair will be her clothing, and so they grow their hair as long as possible. I never knew that. So that's the reasoning behind that. Mm-hmm. Well. Huh. I've never heard that before. <laughs> I've never even read that before. Everything I've read and watched on this never even touched on this. So they, they never cut their hair at all? Or not even a trim? Okay. They might trim it a little bit to try and encourage it to grow, but... To cut your hair actually is to be worldly. It's a sign of rebellion. Uh, for just women or men yeah, as well? For women. Oh, okay. Men were required to stay clean shaven, short hair, pretty much military style. I've noticed like not many fat people. Like all seem like they're pretty good in shape and can go out in the yard and work all day. Mm-hmm. Pretty clean cut. So the ones that wear those dresses and have their hair braided those are all flds or those are just lds it's hard to tell anymore because we have a lot of them that are no longer following after the jeff's rule or authority that continue to dress in such a way as to not be known as an outsider or apostate oh, okay hmm. so you've got We've got a lot of people that uh, don't believe in the order of priesthood that's the doctrine that's been passed down through the Jess boys who still dress the same just because there has been so much division that people don't know who's actually in the order and who is out. Even if you're already in that, in that world, no one knows like who's in charge is what you're saying? Right, like several people have made the comment to me that, that they don't know who's actually part of the higher up and who's been demoted. Because once, once Warren got locked up, it's kind of when it all took a shit as far as higher leadership goes. and then Well, Warren kind of brought in a bunch of weird seclusive stuff. And he was ordaining and elevating people and he was ostracizing people at the same time sure and people weren't talking about it and so you didn't know if your neighbor had just gotten a promotion or if he'd got kicked out Uh. and so people just kept doing the same thing and nobody knew who was who as far as religious standing went really must have got awkward quick and yeah. confusing also confusing for yeah. sure yeah nobody knew nothing i mean that those boys brought nothing but division you know when i grew up love and forgiveness were the watchword my dad and uncle roy used to preach love and forgiveness and the jess boys come in and they started preaching judgment and condemnation and and everything turned i'm sure there was some some hatred towards those guys whether it was within the church or outside of the church oh yeah because it wasn't like it just no one knew about it obviously people knew about it hence why that shit started getting investigated by the feds and why he was on the run was it i think i was reading somewhere there was some someone trying to take some take a hit on his life at some point yeah i don't know doing something like that's probably gonna get some crazy guy over in missouri all fired up and have him come down here and stake it out for a while but them, them preaching all that hate and stuff probably, you know, slowed down, you know, the country from actually accepting these communities, too. It probably made a, a lot of heartache and pain for a lot of people. Yeah, that, it's, it's hard. It's easy to get a stink on you, and it's hard to get that stink off. And I think them dudes just put a, put a bad stink on that whole thing that's going to take decades to wipe off. Right. Yeah, I mean... Like your mom said, when she moved out here, she thought these people were the most vile people on the face of the planet. And then she got to know them through the mission. Mm-hmm. And, they, you know, like I said, at first they'd come in with their eyes pointed at their toes. They'd grab their food box and leave. Pretty soon they started talking and opening up, and Donna got to know them, and they and she started building relationships with people, and she just basically fell in love with these people out here. Yeah. A lot of good people. Oh, yeah. Heck they've yeah, just been is. duped by religion. 
and have you have you had someone I'm sure you have but if you don't have to say names for an, an, keeping them anonymous but if you had someone like whether it's here or just in, in, in general come up to you and be like hey you know like they're part of the FLDS but they don't want to be there or they're part of something they didn't want to be and they wanted to get out do you guys is there like a, a, a a good way to do it or is there like a, a better way to do it so it doesn't have ripple effects for family and friends and the local community they're part of or yes um if that's something you could elaborate on by all means but if it's something you don't want to we don't well first of all i think about myself when i left yeah and and we've helped a few people get out of town um the one thing that's prominent in my mind is helping a person break the chains of religion and not feel like their soul is going to burn in hell. The good news of the gospel of the kingdom is what people need to understand. And it's, it's kind of hard because they, most of these kids are doing the same thing I did. When they, when they leave the religion, they go get high. First off. And then next thing you know, they're, they're in a drug addiction they're battling with, they don't understand, they don't even know how to deal with, and they become, uh, what's the word? Because government steps in and wants to straighten them out, but all their 12-step programs don't work. The, the, the government has tried so hard to save these teenage kids that have left this community, and they've failed in so many ways because they just don't understand the mindset. Sure. And it's hard, you know, it, it's hard to undermine lies with people. I mean, like with me, I mean, I knew that my soul was going to burn in hell, and there wasn't nothing you could tell me that would convince me differently. And so, you know, the best way to undermine a lie is with truth. And it's those little truth bombs, just the one-liners that get a person thinking. Get the gears going. Yeah, get their brain thinking about what they've been taught their whole damn life. And get rid of that fear and condemnation and teach them how to live a good life. Of course. But they want to put them in programs and they don't understand what they're dealing with. So that's, that's one thing that I've always wished I could do was find a way to reach these kids when they're getting kicked out of the creek. And I think you're doing a pretty good job at that. I mean, I don't think you're just letting stuff slip by. You're helping out where you can, and you're probably going above and beyond for anything that does get put in front of you or that you hear of. But, yeah, there needs to be something different. I don't know if that's something you can talk with with local legislative or if that's like a federal thing or, or, or what, but it's super unfortunate when it happens, and it's sad to see it when it does. But I think... I think you're doing what you, what, everything you can in your power. At least that's what the perception is for me when I first met you and started hearing about this stuff. I think you're doing everything you can, for sure. Yeah, about all you can do is uh, lead by example and pay attention. When opportunity knocks, don't turn a blind eye to it, you know. So I, I try to keep my eyes open, my ears open, paying attention. And when I see a, see something, I trust, I trust God's going to give me the words to say. And it's been interesting because I've got a nephew. We used to get together and get drunk, and we'd start bullshitting. And I'd blurt a scripture out of my mouth. It'd just roll off the tip of my tongue because it's an, an encouraging scripture, right? Because it's good news. And he'd give me the cross with these fingers. He'd tell me, I don't want none of your damn religion. And I'm like, mm -hmm. it's not religion, bro. It's motivation. <laughs> yeah. But those little one-liners, pretty soon he's going, hey, um, 
when are you doing Bible study? I want to come, you know. Planting the seed. <laughs> Just starting to sprout. Drop those little truth bombs on them. Pretty soon they start thinking outside of that box. Pretty soon they realize that they don't have to be judged and condemned for the rest of their life and burn in hell when it's done. That must have been a freeing. Uh, I can't even imagine the weight off your shoulders that when you finally realized when they told you you were damned forever and you're like oh no i'm not <laughs> yeah it must have been like the best feeling in the world it was it's uh, like waking yeah, up it, or something when i got the baptism of the holy spirit and i started praying in tongues three days later in the shower um that was that was the turning point that was when i quit looking behind me at my past and started looking at what was possible. Hell yeah. It's awesome. And I was still doing drugs at the time. Really? I mean, it was about a month later I went to prison. Hmm. And I went to prison. I went to, I went to Draper with the gift of tongues and the Holy Spirit manifested in that prison in such a powerful way that I come out of I came out of that not even the same person. Totally changed my life. For the better. Yeah. Freedom. True freedom. It's gotta be a crazy feeling. Oh yeah, especially when you've been in and you know, when you're laying in bed with a needle stuck in your arm, flipping like a fish, crying out to God for help because you know it's going to either kill you or you're going to be in a mental ward or physically disabled or institutionalized in some way. You know that's going to take you and you can't put it down. And to be set free from that is... And in the way it happened to me, yeah, like a total transformation. I mean, I can't even explain it. I can't even try to explain it. I can't even fathom it. That's heavy shit. Oh, man. But you're, you're doing good now. All's well on the Western Front. And uh, you guys have a good time out here. If there's anything y'all you know, desert people know how to do, it's, it's have a good time. And take care of each other for sure it's there's so much stuff to do out here like and it, it's crazy and it's like i'll just start talking to you like yeah that's that range and it's been blah 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 and then in 1913 this guy came by and da 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 and said this here and i was like jesus christ phil how do you know this <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, i love it yeah lots and lots of jeeping lots of spinning i like to spin <laughs> <laughs> It's been a great time out here. Nate, if you never, if Nate never hears this, if you do hear it, Nate, we love you. <laughs> yeah, Nate's a good egg. Yeah, he was good stuff. Well, I think we're going to wrap this up. Phil, you're a, you're an inspirating guy. You, you, uh, you've had a crazy life. It's the stories you talk about are wild. The experiences you've given other people are awesome. And the things you do for people is even better. So it's, uh, I'm glad I know you, uh, I'm glad you got to tell us your story. I'm, I'm humbled that you have. Uh, the things you do out here is awesome, and I just want to say thanks. And uh, let's keep having fun. Thank you. All right, right love you, man. See you Rock guys. Rock and roll. All right, see you.